Welcome to Maker Skills, exploring your internal toolkit with PJ, Tanda, and Tom. I'd like to welcome everyone back for an exciting episode. We, we pride ourselves on picking skills that is accessible, skills that are accessible to everyone. This week we're talking about taping, the, the skill of three-year-olds, basically, because I, th- I think last year was a little too too complicated. Everybody's good with tape. Yeah, three-year-olds can tape. And what what is that skill class, PJ? Tape is a class one skill. Yeah, when three-year-olds can do it, it's it's a class one. There's there's no arguments there. Well, there's some things that three-year-olds can do, just not really well. Horrible welders. Three-year-olds can stare at people in public. That's like a that's like a class ten skill. If you work on it, you can you can stare at people in public. You just have to. Get over your nerves. No, that's not that. You just wear sunglasses, and nobody knows you're doing it. Oh, that's cheating. Hey, wow. it's it's the men in black stare. You know what I'm saying? That's a creep factor of ten, not a skill factor. I don't see the difference. <laughs> I know you don't. Tom, tell us about your tape research. Well, thirty seconds ago, I found out this is about taping. I I did a lot of research on tapping. <laughs> So, uh, let me see if I can come up with something real quick. You didn't see my spelling clarification in the, in the text to PJ. No, I just can't read good. Uh, I looked up, uh, apparently all of our tape came from World War II. And uh, it's, I read a few websites, they all kind of had a similar story. Apparently scotch tape and duct tape have basically the same backstory. And it's possible that... Uh, was it Roosevelt? It's possible he said, we need a solution for this thing. Uh, they were sending these packages to soldiers. It was not clear what was in the packages. It might have been munition, um, ammunition or something like that. It also could have been care packages, but they were arriving. They were sealed with wax and they just, they failed all the time. So it was, it was a nuisance, inconvenience, something like that. So I think a bunch of companies were trying to come up with a solution. And I believe Johnson and Johnson came up with what we know as duct tape, uh, but I believe scotch tape also came out of this same time period, or it's all nonsense, it's all fake. So, you decide. Now, uh, it, it was presented as like a waterproof cloth adhesive. It wasn't called duct tape, D-U-C-T tape. It was originally, as far as people know... So, scotch tape was invented in the 1920s. Duct tape was in the 40s. Ooh, so one of the websites I read was false. I, I'm not gonna find out which one it was though. All right, so maybe they were, maybe they had the stories mixed up, and I only read about duct tape. So it 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 was. Uh, they think maybe they were using, uh, like duck skin, for the tape, originally, which is kind of gross. Uh, but we don't. I I don't think anybody truly knows. But that's kind of where it came from. What I love about duct tape is that there are a million uses for duct tape, except taping duct. You are not supposed to use duct tape on duct. That's that's very interesting. I I have a lot to say about that, but I'm going to throw it to Tanda first because I get the feeling that I'm going to run at the mouth on this one. Tanda? Well, I'm going to go in a little bit different direction. And this was also um, invented in the 1920s, and it's kind of a specialized tape, and that is a Band-Aid. 
which was developed in the 1920s by someone who worked for Johnson & Johnson, whose new wife was in the habit of cutting her fingers or burning herself. And so he came up with something where she could administer a bandage herself. But really a kind of a tie-in to that, actually subdermal patches, which are a tape that you can put on your skin. And of course, people have been applying oils and various remedies that are topical for millennia. In 1971, the transdermal patch was invented. And people probably know about it from like the astronauts using scopolamine or, you know, kind of a Dramamine type medication for motion sickness. But I have a personal story about uh, a professor that I had in college who was uh, a psychology professor and he was studying mice and rats and as a uh, disincentive, he put tiny drops of nicotine on their skin and, of course, made him very ill. It, he mixed it with DMSO, which is an, in an industrial solvent, but people have used it for a liniment in the past. He mixed that with nicotine and would put it on these animals to dissuade them from whatever they were doing. And he happened to spill that concoction on his arm and ended up in the hospital nearly dead from a nicotine overdose. And long story short, he is the inventor of the nicotine patch. He was able to go on to patent that and ended up becoming a fairly wealthy individual, still a great guy, and he was a wonderful professor. When was this? Uh he had done this prior to, uh, to his being my professor. He had made this discovery years prior, but he was going through the process of, you know, FDA trials and, and trying to patent it, a very long, long process. And he was able to get the patent, I think, around the year I graduated from college. Wow. That's so, wild. But that was uh, kind of an interesting history, and to have known the person was interesting as well. Well, ironically enough, where I started my research was also with a medical, uh, I don't know, I guess nicotine patches are medical. I looked up who invented tape, and tape was invented in 1845 by a doctor named Dr. Horace Day. And prior to him, what he invented was a bandage with an adhesive so that he could stick it to his patients you know, people that were bleeding to death that needed to stop bleeding. Prior to that, what they had was bandages and glue, and the glue stuck to everything. So this was the first rudimentary pressure-sensitive form of tape, and that was the key to tape versus some, some form of material with glue. Glue stuck to everything. Tape was pressure-sensitive. Now, I did find a lot of other interesting tape-type stuff, but I decided to focus on duct tape because that seemed to have the widest variety of interesting delectables. After World War II, uh, when duct tape was introduced, uh, it, it originally came out in green, and they changed it to silver because people started using it for duct work. Uh, but then, as Tom pointed out, they found out that uh, it r routinely and on a regular basis failed uh, when used for ductwork. So it uh, 
was not very well named. Duct tape is most famously used by NASA uh, on the Apollo 13 flight, where they had to seal up a makeshift device in order to remove CO2 from the crippled ship. And duct tape has been on every single NASA flight since then. I'm really glad that worked out because Tom Hanks has turned into a wonderful actor after being an astronaut for so many years. That's true. That's true. It's a good thing. I I would have really felt badly if if they had lost Tom Hanks. I I was talking about uh, watching Apollo 13 uh, with my uh, father-in-law at one point. I was talking about what a good movie it was. And at some point, he just looked at me and said, I, I watched the real thing. <laughs> and that kind of that kind of put me in my in my position, I suppose. I, I you know I just I thought it was a you know interesting you know a good movie to watch a historical you know reenactment. Yeah, when he told me you know I watched the real thing, it put me in my place. <laughs> That's awesome. So snippy. He could have been nicer about it. <laughs> Duct tape has been used to make everything but a spaceship. It'll repair a spaceship. The people regularly make tuxedos prom dresses, handbags, shoes, wallets, belts, all out of duct tape. Now there's a duct tape festival in Avon, Ohio. Does everybody know about this? No. Yeah. At this festival, you can see duct tape art, crafts, clothing, participate in games which involve duct tape, and uh, there's a duct tape factory in Avon, so that's why the festival is held there. Uh, they have an annual crowning of the duct tape dad of the year, which I think is awesome because, let's face it, guys don't really get crowned all that much. There's a lot of, you know, beauty queens and all of the kinds of female, you know. Females get a lot of chances to get crowned. Guys, not not so much. I agree. I think there there definitely needs to be more male crowning events. There is also a comedy routine at the festival called the duct tape guys i I don't i don't even know what to say about that i'll say one thing here in new mexico i think we're too far from avon ohio to get the ad so i was totally unaware of this event but uh, when someone had mentioned uh, you know games involving duct tape uh, we were taught to run (laughs) that that's always a good that's a good thing to do yeah so the last thing i found is if you are familiar with duck brand duct tape they hold a contest every year for high school students to create a prom dress out of duct tape, and the winner gets $3,000 scholarship for college, which I thought was kind of cool if you're brave enough to wear a duct tape dress and get a little dough. That is cool. You've just entered the dealer's corner where bargains are currency. Prepare yourself. Entering the ring for the first time on this podcast, Tanda, you got a dealer's corner this week. I did. I actually had a dealer's corner moment on uh, Thursday, and then I didn't want to really bother him on Thanksgiving Day, and I was kind of hopeful that uh, he would still have the stuff up. But I found an ad on uh, Facebook Marketplace and then I found that he had lowered the prices a little bit and posted it on Craigslist, and he had a bunch of items. And on Craigslist, he had broken them out separately. And the prices all added up to well over, I don't know, 
fourteen, fifteen hundred dollars. So I contacted him and asked if I could come take a look. And I didn't hear back from him on Thanksgiving Day. But then on Friday morning, I got a text saying, are you still interested? And so I was interested in some mics. I wanted to get a few, you know, small micrometers, maybe up to a, you know, mid-sized micrometer. And when I got there, he still had everything in his ad. And I gave him one price for everything that he had. And he was happy to... uh, just unload everything and be done with trying to sell it all piecemeal. So I got it for probably 30% less than all of it added up together. So it wasn't a, you know, just a steal, but it was a really good deal. Of course, I got the micrometers. I also got some other little odds and ends like T-handles and some little, little odds and ends. But among the stuff that he had was a set of hole gauges, a set of bore mics, micrometers. I have one metric micrometer. I've got a one to two inch micrometer that's a Sterrett, a two to three inch brown and sharp micrometer, uh, the metric micrometer, a three to four inch brown and sharp and a three to four inch Sterrett micrometer, a six to seven inch uh, Sterrett micrometer, that has just a teeny bit of rust on the anvil. And of all of them, that's the only one that has any imperfections on it. An 8 to 9 inch micrometer, a 9 to 10 inch micrometer, a 10 to 11 inch micrometer. And then he also, in another ad, he had this Mitotoyo height gauge listed in the ad. As I was standing there and I offered him the one price for everything, um, I thought it was everything in the first ad, but not the height gauge. And I said, and he's showing me the height gauge. And I said, are you including that in the, you know, what I offered you one price for? And he said, yeah, if you want to just take everything, then we're good. Wow. And so I also got a, what's often called a Cadillac gauge, a Minotoyo Height Master gauge, all for one price. So for $800, I got all of that, plus a handful of other, you know, machine tool odds and ends. But just the height gauge by itself, and they're, I mean, it's all over the place, but they sell from two to three, four hundred to two or three thousand. I mean, the price range is ridiculous for them. Hey, PJ, sidebar. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, she is way out of our league on buying stuff. $800? <clears throat> Tom, you're, you're not paying attention. She said 30%. She can't do math. Okay. So she's not, she's not even in our league. We're doing way better than her. Oh, percentage-wise. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, whew. Okay, I get it. I got it. Yeah. Thanks for clearing that up. You know I would have got all that stuff for like 100 bucks. Oh, she's coming she come back. She's coming oh, back. Sorry. She's coming back. Yeah. Tanda, that sounds like, a, <clears throat> sounds like a hell of a deal. Now, uh, you listed off a bunch of stuff. Exactly what is the street value of this if it was brand new? Oh, if it were brand new, the height gauge itself is probably... Each of the micrometers are probably in the hundreds easily. And there are, I think, eight, eight or 10 micrometers, and then all the other odds and ends. So it's street, street value is pretty high. I'm going to challenge you to do some math here, Tanda. Exactly. Give us a one ballpark number for everything. I think for everything, it was probably... 
5,000. And you got it for 800. Yeah. That's not bad. No, I got it for I got it for 30% less than he was listening listing it heavily discounted to get rid of it. I could have swore you said that he was listing it for 1400. Well, that was that was the stuff other than the height gauge. The stuff other than the height gauge. Okay. That was all the micrometers and all the other hand tools and stuff that he had in the one listing that didn't include the uh, the height gauge. So the height gauge put it over 1400 is what you're saying. Yeah. So realistically, it was more like 1600 I don't know. I'm just making up all of these numbers. I have no idea what it's <laughs> worth. I, I just, I know that uh, if I were to go and buy just what I wanted um, out of all of this stuff, which included a lot of stuff that wasn't even on my radar, I would have easily spent well over $800. Very good. Sounds like you got it all for like 15 to 20% of retail. Which is killer. Yeah, retail on this on the Starrett stuff is is way up there. Yeah. I haven't looked up everything, but it's probably even more than you know. If you went retail on every one of those new, it's probably mm-hmm. probably even more than I said. It's probably more than the five thousand. But I haven't added it all right. up, and I haven't you know. And there's stuff in there that I didn't mention that's just hand tools that are worth thirty or forty bucks. I like getting stuff like that because you can sell one thing and get your 800 bucks back easily. Yeah. Is this stuff for you to keep, Tanda, or are you selling this stuff? I Yeah, I may sell some of it. Some of the you know really big uh, mics are really interesting to me, but and you know they look like they've never touched a part. This was stuff that came out of an inspection room. But the reality is I don't turn that much stuff or work on that much stuff that requires the precision that's like, 10 inches, 11 inches, you know, that that scale of stuff. And the height gauge is really cool. I'd love to keep it. But if there's someone out there that would use it regularly, I don't do that sort of critical inspection. And it's in great condition. It's a, you know, beautiful piece of equipment. I actually picked up a height gauge. It was a Mitutoyu height gauge. Uh, I want to say maybe about a year ago. Pretty sure I got it for about $35 from a guy that, literally left it out for me on his porch because he had to go somewhere and I put money in his mailbox and then I turned around and I sold it for like 200 bucks on eBay I think so yeah they uh I I looked it up on eBay and the prices that they've sold for and that are they're listed for are all over the map and I don't uh, don't really understand why if they're particular models that are rare or or what the deal is but I've seen I have I saw listings in the thousands and I saw listings in the two or three hundred. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's eBay for you. Hey, PJ, can you top that deal this week? <clears throat> well, it's going to be... Everything's a competition. I can't top the deal, but I can top the story. Does, does that count? No. No, it sounds like you lost. Oh, so, What do you got anyway? Well, I didn't think I was going to have anything, but uh, I was scrolling through... It was either Saturday or Sunday. I can't remember which day it was. And I saw an angle grinder, a Milwaukee angle grinder, and I'm, I'm like, it's 25 bucks. I'm like, that's that's a good deal on a Milwaukee angle grinder. But I don't know if I want to drive all the way out there at this place for one. Then I kept scrolling down, and I saw another angle grinder for $25. I'm like, wait a minute. And I check, and it's the same guy. The second angle grinder was a Hilti. So I messaged the guy, and I said, hey, I'm interested in... And both the angle grinders, how about 40 bucks? 
And there was a little back and forth, and he goes, yeah, okay. I left immediately to go down. This guy was like about 30 minutes away. I left immediately to go down there. His name was Nick. And I get there, and I see that he sent me another text message while I was driving. And he goes, uh, I forgot, or I got confused. I promised the Milwaukee angle grinder to somebody else. They're on the way. I'm like, so right off the bat, I'm not in a good position. So like right after I got there, this other guy got there for the other angle grinder, and he happened to live like five minutes away from where I live. So we both came from the same direction. We could have carpooled. Anyway, this guy was in, um, he, was, he was selling a bunch of stuff because he was in industrial maintenance. He was getting out of it. And so he had, uh, I go into his garage, which is not attached to the house. And the first thing I notice is he's got an oriental rug on the floor, which I got to say, it's pretty classy. He's got a Harley sitting on the rug. This guy had more stand-up toolboxes than I have ever seen in a confined space. If I had to guess, I think he had somewheres around 12. And they were not small. Uh, they were. He had Snap-on. He had Mac Tools. He had Craftsman. He had like every single brand of large multi-drawer toolbox that you could possibly own, with the exception of there were no Harbor Fruget. And he's got a pile of stuff on the floor. Basically, the guy gets there, and there's no way to sit there and properly haggle if someone else is there like they want what you have because they're just going to up the price. So basically what I did was I just kind of hung back, and I just watched what this other guy was picking through. And he's like, well, I'll, I'll take this if you don't want it. I'm like, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, have at it, man. I'll, all I was doing was just biding my time waiting for him to leave. The only thing he took that I was kind of halfway interested in was he, he got a Milwaukee hammer drill, corded hammer drill for 15 bucks, which that's a darn good deal. Sure is. I still think I came out on the better end uh, because I got the Hilti angle grinder, which I think is way more expensive than the Milwaukee. But I looked them both up and they both list for 200 bucks. So whatever. But he also had a milk crate full of casters. And you guys know about my wheel addiction. So I'm like, Nick, how much is this uh, milk crate of casters here? How about 10 bucks? Yeah, ten, that's mine. I'm taking that. Yeah. 24 casters. Wow. And they went, they ranged in size from an inch and a half, like inch and a half height by inch wide, up to five inches high by two inches wide. And they were like monster casters, some locking, some swivel, some straight. 10 bucks. Then he's got, you know, those uh, Stanley corner clamps. They're kind of shaped like an L and you mount them to the corner of a bench. They just, they, they look like an, they're an L-shaped clamp. Like, a, it's not a clamp. I'm sorry. It's a vice. It's, it's an L-shaped vice. And you're supposed to clamp it to the corner of a workbench so that you can, I think, clamps or, or put stuff in the vice either horizontally or vertically. I've, I've never really fully understood the accurate use for these things but he had one there and he also had this tool it was part of a tool for a saw filing system i think that's what he said but basically what i saw was there was a set of if you look at a vice they have swivel locks which you know it's like the t-handle and then it's got a, a bolt coming up from the bottom well this this part had two of those and they look like the exact right size for like a three-inch vice and I'm like, 
I could definitely use that. I've got a bunch of vices that don't have those T-handles. They don't have the swivel locks. So I, I held up the two things, and I'm like, how much for these two? And he goes, five bucks. I'm like, I, I, done. I'll take that. And then the last thing I found was he had this little white tray, and it was full of gear puller parts, like all the arms for pulling gears. But it went from, like, the tiniest of gears up to, like, gigantor-sized gears. And it, I think there might be, like, two complete sets, but there was, like, 15 incomplete sets. And I'm looking at this going, uh, Nick, is, is there actually a complete set in here? Am I, am I going to pull anything off of this? He goes, yeah, probably. And I'm like, right, how much do you want for this? He goes, five bucks. Yeah, done. That's, it's not even a question. So for all this stuff was 40 bucks total. So it was worth the ride. He did have other stuff there, but I was just like, the only thing I'd asked about that didn't take, which I kind of wanted, he had a nice set. I don't think it was complete, but he had older Craftsman wrenches, metric and standard. And I just recently realized I don't have a good set of metric wrenches because I apparently I sold them all. So I need a set... But 25 bucks was a little steep, so I'll just get them at an auction sometime. And that was it. Do you have adjustable wrenches? Yeah. Because you can, you can take a standard adjustable wrench down to Johnson's, and they can convert it to metric. I heard the same. I heard the same in a commercial. Yeah, yeah. They'll, they'll do it for you, and I think it's like 20 bucks. Yeah, I heard some weird things about that place. I think those guys are a little shifty. Yeah, could be, but we're happy they sponsor us. Yeah, I think it's only 12 bucks for Imperial, and it's $10 for, for the metric conversion, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I, I don't want people touching my wrenches. I'm very, very picky about that kind of thing. Were those deals hot enough for you? You got a sizzling deal that's burning a hole in your pocket? Send it in, maybe we'll read it on air. I am very interested to hear where this particular section of the podcast goes. Tom, tell me about your personal <laughs> history with tape. <laughs> tape is just one of those things that's always been there i don't like who has a story about tape i know you do so hold it (laughs) but (laughs) ppj has a story about everything and so i've got to work on my stories i I forgot to mention the guy that i got all the stuff from his his name was tom does that does that help you ever you ever notice that all of you ever notice that all the people that pj interacts with ends like their name is like five letters Two of them are the same, and it ends in Y. Like Jimmy, Timmy, Joey. Like they're always an, a Y name. I'm on to you. That's what I'm saying. Unless he takes Danny with him, and then the guy's name is Nick. It's a it's yeah. a trend. Yeah. Well, no, that the 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 guy I got the grizzly stuff from his name was Pete. Petey. Pete. No, just Pete. Not... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but people people probably <laughs> called him Petey. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. He did look like a Petey to right. me. So I'm going to talk about my lathe again. I do a lot of masking with painter's tape when I spray paint things. I pretty much only spray paint things because I'm lazy and that's easy. And I want to talk about a little tip or trick that I do. In the apron of the lathe, there were just like 15 to 20 holes. Things where bolts went or where handles went or things like this. And I didn't want tape to get into the holes when I spray painted it. So what I do is I take a piece of painter's tape, uh, let's say two inch wide painter's tape, and I roll it, how do I say this? Sticky side out into a cone. Does that make sense so far? Yeah. And you can put the cone into the hole. It's like a tapered piece of tape. So you put the cone into the hole and it seals perfectly and then you can spray paint around that. 
That's a good tip. I'm I'm follow I'm following you. Not bad, right? I just did that today. Did you? Yeah. How did you do that? I I just told you how to do that now. I don't understand. Because I didn't use a cone. I used a tube. A tube. Yeah. Tube. I'm using tapered tubes essentially. I, there's no there's no taper. You can use those roll up earplugs. Tape's certainly cheaper. If you put a taper on it, then it will automatically match the size of the hole. Yeah, I don't like that. No. I don't I don't like automatic hole size matching. I like tubes. Oh, you're one of those. Yeah, yeah. I'm a tube guy. You know, we're, I'm we're a tube guy. Yeah, we're different from other people. You know how it is. <laughs> I'm making you a t-shirt that says that. <laughs> I do need a t-shirt. Tanda? There, there are tape tapers and tape tubers, and it kind of divides the world. I think Tom just got attacked by his tape. It could be. It's a good thing he's taped to his chair. Or he might have just fallen on the floor. I don't know. He's Sorry. he's scrambling. Should we call for help? I don't know. My seatbelt got caught in my wheel. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a good thing you were here just on the podcast and not going like 60 miles an hour down the road. Don't explain that. That could have been disastrous. Let's just not clarify that. If they didn't hear last week, then they don't know. <laughs> well, it's okay. PJ tells us to buckle up for his stories all the time. I don't understand what the problem is. I, I don't think a seatbelt getting caught in a wheel is ever a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> Certainly the only podcast where that's a problem. That we know of. Tanda, tell us about your personal history with tape. You know, I, I only knew of like three kinds of tape the whole time I was growing up. There was electrical tape, and it was always black. There was masking tape, and it was like on this roll that was half disintegrated and didn't, didn't work very well. And of course, scotch tape. And so if you couldn't, you know, make it work with those, then, then you were out of luck. But there are a lot of really cool double-stick tapes out there. I have some that I get from 3M that's used for putting membrane keypads on and, and you know, adhering things with uh, anything that you want to use a very thin double-stick tape for instead of the kind of like foam in between. It's expensive, but I use it a lot, and it's a great adhesive. And I have a funny story. I, I used it to attach these... Uh, membrane keypads to cabinet faces. I worked with the kitchen designer and we did uh, custom lighting and I used it to mount this piece of electronics into the cabinet and to a recess in the cabinet. And I go out to my truck to get something and I can't find it. I'm maybe 10 or 15 minutes and I come back in and there's this guy in there going, just cursing. He's like, what the who's, ah, who brought this tape? And he is, uh, he's laying out tile on the backsplash and he's used my very aggressive double stick tape to put, hold a bunch of stuff in place. And then he's gone off to get some grout or something. And now he's trying to get whatever it was that he taped onto the, onto the tile off. And it's pulling all of the tile off of the wall. <laughs> and, um, oh my you know, I would have been upset because it's expensive tape, but it was just so comical that it was like pulling all of these tiles that he had just adhered to the wall off and, and it was sticking to the stuff that he had put on the wall. And and so I kind of kind of overlooked that. Totally worth but, it. Uh, Price of admission. Yeah, it was worth it. And kind of the same sort of story with the stamps, which uh, now that they're all self-adhesive are basically just little strips of tape. And once in the office... Uh, I'm working back in the back of the of the shop uh, programming parts or something and my daughter comes back and says uh, hey do we have any more of those flag stickers <laughs> <laughs> 
and uh, and she has made a a, a lovely uh, collage poster uh, using probably a hundred dollars worth of uh, worth of stamps, and so again that was uh, the the comedy made it made it worthwhile, but it was a rather expensive uh, little uh, mosaic, if you will, made out of uh, flag stamps. I was about to say those are stickers, but you beat me to it. Yeah, could have could have been, but uh, I don't know. Uh, maybe one taping trick: if you're using masking tape, um, I've done a lot of signs on my laser, and you know I get it that not everybody has a laser, but if you lay down masking tape and then cut it with the laser and weed it, it makes for quick sign making. But a tip: even if you're using an exacto or anything, and you're using masking tape and then you're cutting an area to be painted, say you paint a a white background and you're going to put black letters on it. If you put down your masking tape and then cut out your letters or your shapes, but before you spray the black, if you hit it lightly again with the white, then those little fuzzy, you know, like if you ever spray with masking tape, the paint will kind of wick under the masking tape just a little bit and make these like little hairlines of paint. But if you spray it with that base color first, then that color will wick in under the tape and seal it and it matches whatever the base is so you don't even see it and then you come back in and spray with your black tape or your black paint rather and you get a nice crisp edge because that same color that matches the base has you know filled those little teeny gaps that find their way under the masking tape that's a good tip pj how about you so i have an aptly timed tape story since we're in the holiday season I have, I, how should I put this? I am a gift wrapping master, master level gift wrapper. And of course, you know, you need tape for wrapping gifts. I guess I should qualify myself. Not if you're a master. Well, we're not talking about origami here, Tom. We, we are wrapping something, you know, in, in paper. Back when I was a kid, I don't remember exactly what year this was, but my father decided it would be a good idea to booby trap one of my presents. And by booby trap, I mean he made it impossible to open. He had, like, taken, you know those uh, little streamers that you can, like, tie around the box and then make, like, a bow out of? They're, like, really thin, like a quarter of an inch. You need scissors. You can't, like, pull them apart with your hands. Well, he took about, like, 500 of those and just wrapped it around the entire box to the point where it was, like, you couldn't even see wrapping paper. And he had individually wrapped them. So when you cut one, it didn't release all the other ones. And then he wouldn't, it was, it was very difficult. I was frustrated. So this, of course, started a multi-year present war where I was booby-trapping the presents I gave to him to the point where I had the ultimate, I, I gave him a fake present. <laughs> By fake present, I mean I had taken, this is not a joke, I took a piece of rotting fruit, put it in a small box, then took that box put it inside of another box that was surrounded by ferret fur, then put that in another box. <laughs> and I mean, I, I kept like, it was a box and a box and a box. and Each layer was like just worse than the beginning. And then I wrapped it in like, I think, um, paper mache. It, it was like, it was like the most impossible present to get into. And I, I did that because every time I had wrapped something, he would always circumvent all my defenses. Like he would always find a way to like get it open way easier than what I had planned. And so then his actual present was a completely separate present because, you know, I only gave him one thing for Christmas. So this was the decoy. Now, that really was more of just an interesting story. 
<laughs> but, but I do have methods for tape. I do have one follow-up question. Yeah. Uh, I just went to Amazon to look for ferret fur, and they don't even have it. So where did you get ferret fur from? <laughs> you know what? You know what? Don't answer it. I don't want to know. I don't even want to know. I'm thinking the actual present was a hairless ferret. <laughs> Eating the rotten fruit. I had a ferret for many years named Smidely, and uh, he shed. You know, And I just, I literally started saving it up in the summertime. And, and I just kept it in a bag and I kept like, I just kept stocking it. Every time I cleaned his crate, I would just gather up the fur, just put it in a bag and just say, yeah, this is going to get used. That's some serial killer level stuff right there. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's master level present. You know, I'm, I'm, you don't, you don't, you don't even know. This is, this is like, so anyway, the, onto the tips, the tape tips. Wrapping paper has patterns. Doesn't matter what is on the pattern, but there is a noticeable pattern. I take whatever the wrapping paper is, and um, I cut out a rectangle, and I fold it in half, and then I match it to the top of the present so that it is invisible. And then I take little pieces of tape. I don't have, I don't use double-sided tape. So what I take is regular scotch tape, and if you tear off a tiny piece and roll it into a tube and then stick it on there, it will stick tighter than if you take a larger piece and stick it on there. So the larger the piece, the more it acts like a spring. So the smaller the piece, the tighter the adhesion. And I put four of these tiny pieces under each corner, and I press it into place. And so basically, that's where you write the to and the from to let you know like whose present it is. But the way that I do it, it looks like you're actually tearing up the square of the paper, and that's where it's written because it's perfectly matching the pattern. Uh, the other thing I do with presents is the master level presents, which you can't do with all of them. But I can wrap a, a normal size present. By normal size, let's say it's like shoebox or smaller with three pieces of tape. You got one on the back, one on each side, and that's it because my folding is also on point, master level. I'm trying to think if I have one more tape tip, but that's that's the, the main, that story, the tape, the, the present war. That that was that went on for like five years, and then and then my father gave in. He's like, all right, no more. <laughs> I do have another tape tip that I think is an important one, and I heard it from Patrick Patrick Reynolds. Is that his last name? He hangs out with Jimmy and and those guys a lot, but he's an electrician. He's just recently retired. Congratulations! And he said when you wrap a terminal like an outlet, when you wrap it with electrical tape, you need to wrap it loose. You can't stretch it and tightly mm-hmm. wrap with electrical tape because it will basically shrivel up and fall off the back and just loosely wrap itself around the wires. So you need to loosely tape it. And it's something I never knew, and I'm glad I know now. I saw that same tip. Yeah, I saw that tip. I'm trying to remember, I, I think what he said, he said if you stretch it, if you stretch the tape, if you wrap it too tightly, that the the it acts like an elastic, right? And so what happens is it pulls itself apart because it's basically like a, a flat spring, and that's that's why I, th- I think that's what he said. That's why it doesn't work. So yeah, that's why you wrap it loosely so that it'll it'll just yeah. stay on there. It, I just wanted to double check. It is Patrick Reynolds for whatever reason I blanked on his last name R E Y N O L D S. Go check him out on Instagram. Mm-hmm. That reminds me of another tape trick, which is it's another tube. It's a tube trick. I guess it's a tube. It could be any shape, really. You are a tube guy. I am a, You're a tube I am guy, a tube so. guy. 
It could be, it doesn't have to be a tube. It could be anything. But let's say you want to attach something. You want to make a little holder. Like you want to attach something to to a surface, but you want to be able to make it removable. So basically you want to make like a little sheath. So whatever this thing is, most of the time it's something round, like a screwdriver or whatever. You take the tape that you're using. could be any tape, but, you know, like electrical tape or a cloth tape works best. Like if you have like a hockey tape, something like that. Tear off a piece that is larger than the diameter of whatever the thing is that you want to hang. And then you turn it, let's say, inside out, the sticky side out. And you wrap it around the thing that you want to hang. So then it's it's like, you know, it's... It's an adhesive spot on the thing you want to hang. You stick it to whatever surface you want, like the edge of a table or whatever, and then you take more of that tape and you wrap over the sticky part. So the sticky part holds to the table, then you run more tape over top of that, and then you can just pull the screwdriver or whatever it is right out of it because you the inside of it is not sticky. And that's how you make like a little holder or a sheath for a part or a tool, or I've used it for knobs. Uh, it's also good for hmm. uh, microphones if you are, you know, putting mics on things. It's a lot of lot of different uses for it, but I've used that for a long, long time. That's a good tip. I usually, I mean, if I'm going to stick it to the edge of the table, I usually just put things on the table, but, you know, your, your method works too. Well, the last thing I used it for was I had my table saw, my Rockwell, 1972 Rockwell table saw that I just sold, and the fence had a tiny knob for locking the rear. There was a big knob for locking the front, but the tiny knob for locking the rear. And I was doing repetitive motions where I had to constantly lock and unlock the fence. I think I was jointing wood. And I ended up making a very large knob to replace the small one, but I didn't want to lose the small one. So I made one of those sheaths and I stuck it to the lower part of the fence so that it was always there in case I needed to swap it back and forth. I like it. Now I wish I had a picture to show you guys, but I don't. Oh, if you don't have a picture, it didn't happen. Well, sucky darn, I think it's time for one of them old-timey commercial energy lubes and stuff. Hello, this is Chet down at Johnson's Hardware. Are you a superhero on the go, constantly leaving your super suit behind? Finding yourself in precarious situations where you need to protect your identity? Have no fear. If there's a Johnson's Hardware nearby, you can pick up a roll of our masking tape. That's right. We have superhero masking tape in Ninja, Captain, Bug Person, Animal Person, Person with Weird Powers, Ghost, Killer, and Person with No Powers. Use our custom eye-slit selector to find the perfect fit for your face. Our rolls come in a variety of colors to match your superpowers. We offer no guarantees whatsoever and it's non-refundable. Please visit a Johnson's Hardware near you for your superhero masking tape. Please visit us at patreon.com forward slash makerskills to purchase now. Well, dagnabbit, I need to get me one of them. Anyone know what street Patreon is on? I need to go. All right, it is time for tape crossbreeding. Tanda, what skill goes well with taping? I would have to say mock-ups, doing mock-ups, because I don't use tape with the exception of maybe like the double stick tape that I was talking about for final, you know, builds. 
but tape is great to have around just to hold flat pieces together or to uh, make a, a small patch of tape and then cut it into shape. Basically, it's, it's very good for prototyping and doing mock-ups. I use a lot of cardboard to mock things up, and so I think tape goes well with uh, prototyping and mocking things up. It's often meant to be taken back apart. I don't know. If it's not, while you were saying that, all I kept thinking of is you were making like small architectural buildings to show people. Yeah. Well, I, I, I don't ever do that. Oh. But I could. if uh, Usually it's some kind of mechanical thing that I'll later cut out of flat, flat parts. But you can't really weld paper together easily or cardboard. So you just tape it together. Now I get it. The mock-up. You're mocking me. That's where this... Uh, see, I should have... I'm a little slow tonight. And every night. Or you can use a, ma- a magic mocker. Magic mocker? Yeah. Where do you get one of those? You know, Sharpie sells them. Mm, I might need to get one of those for Tom. I think Tom may already have one. I think I saw one in his shop. I have two. He has two magic mockers. Am I the only one that doesn't have one? Probably. Man. You got to pick one up. They're wonderful. Feel left out. Tom, what skill goes well with taping? Uh, I think these are the same, but masking or painting, specifically spray painting, but painting, using tape as a mask. Uh, that's it. That's all I got. Okay. That's kind of self-explanatory, that, all right. I feel like. Sure. Yeah. 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 What about you, PJ? If you are familiar with aluminum tape, which is many times used for ductwork, that is an excellent pairing for light repairs. For instance, just yesterday, I had a small plastic bin that had a crack in it. The aluminum tape sealed that crack right up. It's very, very sturdy. It's great at, it, ha- it adds some structural stability, I guess that would be the right word. Uh, it makes it stay. That, like in other words, if, if plastic is cracked and you try to tape it with like say duct tape, a lot of times it will still like, the crack will still buckle but the aluminum tape won't. It will hold the form. Aluminum tape is also good for uh, making reflectors. So if you have any shaped surface that you want to make a reflector for a light or, you know, some kind of, you know, low-quality mirror, basically, then you can cut up a bunch of little pieces or tear off. It's pretty easy to tear it up into little pieces and adhere aluminum tape onto a surface to make it reflective or to make it look like metal. If you're doing some kind of prop or something, you can cover it with aluminum tape to make it look like metal. I keep a roll in my kitchen for leftovers. Oh, there you go. Leftovers like rotten fruit that you don't want other people to get into easily. So it looks like tinfoil, but takes an hour to get in. Exactly. That sounds like a good idea to me. I I was thinking it's also great for sticky tinsel. If you want to put like tinsel on your tree and you don't want it to move. Aluminum tape is great. You'd have to cut it in little thin strips, but, you know, the cat would not mess with it at that point. Uh, Here's a good tinsel trick. If you have tinsel, it's often kind of got a static charge to it. Of course, this is not true probably of LCD or modern TVs, but old TVs, it would stick very easily to the front of the TV and looked just like the picture tube was cracked. And so then when your dad walked in, you could say, uh, we can explain, we were kind of roughhousing, and the TV, and then and then you uh, you rip the tinsel off just before he kills you. Just before. Yeah, you you want to you want to reveal it just but just before uh, 
you know, he, he like busts you. That's a dangerous game you're playing there, Tanda. Yeah, yeah, you want to leave you want to leave some margin for error there. I don't know. When you first started describing it, I knew the direction you were heading, but not quite. And I was thinking, why would you want the TV to look all hairy? I, was, I, don't, I don't know. That's that's exactly where I'm like, does it have a disease? It's a TV disease. Uh, you can also do that thing where you put the tinsel between your front teeth and then you blow it out and, and pretend you're a dragon. Is that just us? Uh, just you. That, just you. Not, I have not heard of that before, Tanda. <laughs> okay. But but I think I just figured out what the disease is. It would be an STV. <laughs> <laughs> it's, this show is going straight downhill. I talk to my lawyer. I gotta I gotta figure out how to get out of my contract. <laughs> Rant requests. This is a historic event for us today. We have the first listener request. People actually listen, and I have proof. Old Timey Tools sent me a message on Instagram, and he said, could you talk about gloves? And I mean, I, I promptly informed him that gloves are not a skill, but yeah, sure, well, we'll talk about it. And just to make sure that we do it properly, we've invited old Oswald back to chime in on the glove topic. And I, I personally liked, I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to, to join us again, old Oswald. Yeah, sure. Uh, Tom, what what are your what are your thoughts on gloves? Gloves, I like gloves. I don't wear them that much though, um, but I really like gloves when I'm restoring something. I like a, a good latex, or what's the alternate to latex? I don't know. I just buy the plastic gloves, and I, I use those quite a bit. It, it helps to keep the oil off your hands, which is convenient for you know when you're not in the shop. What what about you, Tanda? What what's your favorite glove? I'm not a big fan of gloves. I wear gloves, uh, you know, if there's kind of this imminent, you know, say I'm picking up brush or something, I might wear gloves. Even then, I probably don't when I should, and my hands tend to take a beating for it. I've been wearing uh, gloves a lot lately with my with my job. I kind of, if I'm in the, a clean area, then you have to wear gloves, latex gloves. I must say I'm getting used to um, handling little screws and little Allen wrenches and working on little things with with gloves on, which is a real pain. But as I get used to it, I may start using them more in the shop, like you said, where I'm working on oily things or I'm working on my machine tools and there's coolant. It tends to kind of do a number on my hands if I am handling it for a long time. And so I I may. And I also tend to keep gloves far too long. I have some TIG welding gloves that don't have fingers in them anymore. So they're pretty much useless. Very comfortable, but useless when it comes to picking something up. So I, I don't know. You know, your first reaction was that you don't really use gloves, which is kind of what my reaction was. And for me, I'm, a, I'm, I'm what you would call a large individual. And I'm very tall. I'm very wide. I, all of the proportions are large, which means gloves, hats, watches, glasses... Basically, any accessory, just it's hard for me to find them, so I just, I omit them. And I, I avoid all of that stuff, because it's just, they're uncomfortable. I can't, you know, hats don't fit my big head, and glasses don't, well, there's a lot of big head issues here. Uh, you get the idea. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure people have run into these sorts of problems, uh, you know, 
through through time and I you know I bet Oswald has some tips and tricks on on how to deal with that. I don't know about tips and tricks, but you know we have a lot of gloves out here on the farm. You know, we're only picking up some disgusting things, and you you just don't want to touch it with your bare hands. You might not come off. So I have a variety. I I keep most of the gloves in the stall. I have a glove stall. You you have a stall. You have a stall just for gloves. That, yeah, that's that's my question. Exactly, how many gloves do you have, Oswald? Well, I mean, I started collecting around uh, 1932. I'm probably, I don't know, is a couple hundred pair. You have you have a couple hundred pair of of gloves from 1932. That you you don't you don't throw the gloves out. Why would I do that? I need them. 1932. That's I mean, were gloves different in 1932? I mean, I'm sure there weren't like latex gloves and stuff like we have now. What was popular in 1932? Oh, oh man. Great variety. They're very, very sturdy. Yeah, they're made of all kinds of discarded children's clothes and, uh, you know, basically whatever we could find. It was it was the Depression, you know, so sometimes I made them out of uh, metal, uh, you know, cutoffs from the roofing shingles or sometimes I made them out of shingles, you know. The, it just depended on what kind of glove I needed. So these were gloves that you made. I was thinking you purchased them, but that's amazing. I... I, I no, I didn't make all of them. You know, my my wife made them. She she's very thrifty. I, I just use them. Your 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 wife made you gloves out of shingles. That doesn't really sound very practical. Well, you gotta take that up with her. Um, is is your wife there? Can 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 we talk to her, Oswald? Oh, she is asleep. It's a little anticlimactic. Did, did she still? If she still makes gloves, maybe that's a solution to your problem, Tom. Maybe, uh, maybe Oswald's wife could make you some great big gloves. I would love a pair. Maybe even one for you. Maybe even a, a hat. Maybe that Howie Mandel thing. Does she make hats, Oswald? Oh, my my wife can make just about anything. Yeah, yeah, she's good with hats. Hat. Can she make me a shingle hat? Uh, oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Make a shingle hat. Uh, but, yeah, yeah. Child clothing hat, you know, any of those hats, yeah, she's real good with those. Yeah. Make them out of grass, straw, hay, you know, all, all the materials. Yeah, some yeah, some things like hay gloves, probably not, not so great for welding. I tend to agree, probably very flammable, right? Oswald, you, you wouldn't use hay gloves for, for welding. Well, of course, not without treating them first. got to put the anti-fire retardant on them. <laughs> Is it is that something you can buy, or is that like a, a your own concoction, or maybe your wife's the the anti fire retardant stuff? I have my own special recipe from the farm. It's a combination of a horse manure and uh, some mud and a little bit of a pond scum, and you know you get to cook it a little bit, and it gets a little gummy, and then you got to put it on there. It's got to dry out in the sun, and and it's rock hard. It's pretty 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 good for fire. You know, it won't catch fire at all. It's kind of hard to use as a glove at that point, but it's still you know you're you're safe from fire. <clears throat> uh, yeah, yeah, that that does sound. Uh, are you selling these, Oswald? Does, does can we get some of these fire retardant gloves anywhere? Uh, why, why would I sell them? I, I I don't know. I don't know. I think Oswald keeps everything he's ever made. So the only I think the only time Oswald ever loses anything is if his dog takes off with it and buries it in the yard. And then I guess if it's his yard, is it really lost or? Or is it still his, but just in a different place? 
That is a very, very good question. Uh, Oswald, is the reason that you have an entire stall full of gloves because your dogs keep stealing them? Uh, you know, um, uh, weirdly enough, the dogs don't like the gloves. Wait, 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 wait. The dogs will steal all your tools, your salami sandwiches, everything off your workbench, but they leave an entire stall of gloves alone? That seems like something a dog would take. Um, I, I don't know. I have weird dogs. Uh, obviously, yeah. You know, something... I hate to bring this up, but you mentioned she made made lots of gloves out of children's clothes, and I God, I hate to ask this: Who were these children? Where were they? Your children? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. How about uh, you know a lot, a lot of like kids over the years, and you know they outgrowed clothes, and they're, they're nothing to do with them. So my wife would make the gloves, you know. Oswald, exactly. How many? You did mention your granddaughter last time we we were, you know, we had you on. How many? How many children do you have? And you know, immediate children, not grandchildren. Oh, let's see here. We got a. Uh, you, uh, you are you are you counting the children now? No, no. I I know I know how many there are. I'm trying to separate them from the grandchildren. We have. I have fourteen kids. Uh, please please tell me they have names and they're not just numbered like the dogs. I, well, you know, they, they do have names, yes. Uh, Oswald, you're, you can't just leave us hanging like that. you you got to tell us the names. Oh, I, I don't I feel comfortable. I found out after I got done with you last time, this is on the interwebs, and I don't want them to be exposed. Yeah, I, I understand that. Uh, you know, my, my dad was the same way, very sensitive about any pictures of any of his stuff or anything of his... Uh, on the on the internet or social media. Well, I didn't realize you were that sensitive, Oswald. Uh, I apologize. I didn't want to, uh, you know, I definitely don't want you exposing your children. That's not this kind of program. Um, well, he did make gloves out of their clothes. I, I'm not getting this. I'm sorry. Move on. Move on. I, I think that he, he the clothes were no longer being used, Tom. They weren't, like, taking the clothing off the kids. It was a depression time. They had extra clothes. Something's not adding up. I, I'm just... Trying to get to the bottom of it here. You made gloves out of clothes. What? I, I'm assuming your wife made the clothes. What did your wife make the clothes out of? You're, you're trying to trick me into giving away my wife's secrets, aren't you? Uh, I can't say those things. She beat me. My wife's a strong woman. You mean your your wife is... You can't tell us where your wife got the cloth for the clothes that she made for your children? Nope. Did she make them out of cloth? I can't say. Or gloves. This this is starting to seem um, r- really peculiar, Oswald. Were, were they made out of cloth or not? Maybe. Okay, let's let's move on. Obviously, he's very uncomfortable with this topic. Un- unlike the two of you, well, the three of you. Well, I don't know. Oswald and I are actually very close. I have a lot of gloves. I have actually two different sections of gloves. I have gloves that are like rubber, and I have non-rubber. So, like, when I say like rubber, I've got latex, I've got chemical-resistant gloves, I've got light-duty chemical-resistant gloves, which are more like the dishwashing gloves. Uh, I have heavy-duty insulated electrical rubber gloves for, like, grabbing, like, you know, 10,000-volt lines. I got those at an auction. They look ridiculous. Then I have an entire box of, like, the typical, like, leather gardening gloves. I've got mechanics gloves. I've got insulated mechanics gloves. I've got welding gloves. I have a glove addiction, 
I've mentioned it before, I think. Maybe not on the podcast, but I, I have a I have a glove addiction. Do you have any mittens? <laughs> no, no, I don't have any mittens. Have you seen Unnecessary Inventions mitten? I haven't, but I had mittens as a kid, and I'm pretty sure that it was like my dad's intent to, you know, kind of make other kids make fun of me just to make sure that, you know, I was... I could handle it or something. I don't know. There were just a number of things like mittens where he found these wonderful leather mittens and wouldn't get me gloves for, you know, that winter season, but got me these leather mittens. And so I'm off to school, you know, to play on the playground and play catch and do whatever else you do when you're outside at recess. But I was, of course, the only kid that had mittens. And I, How are you going to defend yourself in a snowball fight with mittens? You know, I th- I think that it uh, it may have worked. I don't know if it was his intention, but I did my best to make all of the other kids very jealous that they didn't have mittens. I you know I tried to, I tried to make sure that it, you know mittens felt like the thing that they should have and didn't. Oh yeah, my my third dog was named Mittens. I thought your dogs were all named by numbers. Yeah, that's my question. I I thought you were up to number eighty-seven. Your your third dog was named Mittens? Really? Well, you know, back when I was a boy, quite honestly, it was before I could count, so we just gave them regular names. Well, okay. Well, that that makes sense. That checks out. The, the, well, well, now hold on a second. Now, when you say a boy, exactly how old were you? Uh, about maybe um, five. You're on your third dog by the time you were five? What happened to the first two? Um, I really can't say. <clears throat> I, I, the, who, where do you get these dogs? That's what I'd like to, there, there is much, who is doing such a brisk business with your farm, uh, Oswald? This is, uh, I, I, I don't even know what to say anymore. Oswald, where do you get the dogs from? Well, you know, uh, you know, where, wherever you get the dogs, you know, at the dog place. You mean like a dog track? Well, you know, sometimes they're on a track, sometimes they're on the road, you know, wherever you find a dog. So you don't have a regular place that you get dogs? Like, how do you know these dogs are any good? Well, some of them aren't good. That's why I'm up to number 87. I, I guess that's a fair point to make. But they're, they've all been blue tick hounds? That, that, that's what you said. You, you have an extensive knowledge of tick hounds. Well, um, I mean, I, most of them, yeah, but not all of them. Some of them were mongrels. I don't know. A couple of them I couldn't identify. They, one of them might have been a deer. A deer, and and you mistook it for a dog. That's uh, that that's kind of unusual. I wonder if Oswald calls every animal on the farm a dog. Well, of course not. That'd be ridiculous. Yeah. It, it, it was just a real small deer. It looked like a dog. You know, I think it had been attacked by a wolf. You know, I I don't know, but I had him for a good long time. He was one of my better dogs. Except he was a deer. Well, maybe. Yeah, that's that's possible. Did this dog have antlers? Well, uh, that was the first clue that it might have been a deer. (laughs) (laughs) So how long exactly did you have this deer dog, Oswald? I mean, mean, you're you're killing Tom over here. He's totally covered his entire face. I don't think he's even breathing at this point. How long did you have the... Okay, first off, I got to figure... How old were you when you had the the deer. It's just let's just say it. It was a deer. It wasn't a dog. How old were you when you had the deer? Oh, 
I think I was had to be about forty-five. Yeah, yeah. He he was a good dog. Let me tell you, he did everything I asked him to do. I miss that boy. Uh, okay, yeah. I I I got nothing. Yeah, I think we got kind of off the off the glove topic, but uh, so yeah, far. man, uh, <laughs> Oswald is one strange dude. I, I take offense to that. I, I'm the most normal person on this podcast. Oh, he's still here. Side sidebar, Side, Tom. I thought I thought yeah, Oswald. Yeah. I thought Oswald walked out with PJ. Um, I, I thought he was already leaving the studio. But yeah, I thought, I, I thought he left too. Yeah, my my apologies, Oswald. Um, you're a strange dude in a very good way. I I, I don't like that either. You're saying that kind of funny. No, I don't I don't like being called strange. I'm, I'm perfectly normal. Perfectly normal. I mean, maybe I have too many gloves, but you know that's that's my business. Yeah. I, I'll, <clears throat> so uh, let's. Uh, I'd like to thank Oswald for coming back uh, for this just this segment on on our. Our listener request on gloves. Thank you, Oswald. Yeah, maybe. Uh, and thanks, thanks Oswald. Uh, we would encourage anyone else that's listening that has something that they would like us to talk about to please contact one of the three of us on uh, on Instagram and let us know. What about me? No, no, I don't. I don't want anybody contacting you, Oswald. That that's that's we don't want to give out your information. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. I don't want people showing up at my farm. No, no they wouldn't show up at the farm. They they send, like, a message over the Internet. What do you mean? Never mind. Don't worry about it. Uh, thank you, everybody. And uh, if you have something that you'd like us to talk about, just send contact one of us. All right, boys and girls, it's time for Short and Sweet. Tom, do you have anything you want to wrap up the show? Yeah, I brought it up earlier. Uh, unnecessary inventions. Go follow him on Instagram. He does YouTube videos also. It's just, it's like the comic relief in my Instagram feed. And he made, we're not getting back on gloves, but he made a mitten. <laughs> I can't even get this out. He made a mitten, and it looks like a mitten, but the middle finger was sewn separately. <laughs> so it's got this nice rounded mitten top, but he can he can flip you the bird with a mitten. It's brilliant. I just it's he makes such ridiculous stuff. It's awesome. So wait a minute. So he's the thumb is separate because the thumb is separate on every mitten. Yes. Then the forefinger is separate because it's not attached to the middle finger and then the two the pinky and the ring finger are together. Uh almost the pinky, ring finger, and what did you call this? Forefinger? Isn't that the forefinger? forefinger? The pointer finger? In index I finger. I guess so. Index. Pointer finger? Yeah, whatever. So those three fingers mm-hmm. are connected with like a loop over the middle finger. Oh. Okay. Yes. So it looks like a mitten when your hand is flat. And then he can go like this. And no one else can see me doing this, but... <laughs> I tell you, I... I don't know if that's unnecessary or not, because when right? I was a kid and I flipped people off, they didn't even know because I was wearing mittens. <laughs> well, you didn't get in trouble as much, I'm sure. That's, yeah, that's I would. I would have. I wouldn't have flipped somebody off. I think. I think if I was going to remake that, I would make it to where it was like an LED glove, and you could just digitally give somebody the finger. Ooh, that's a good idea. That's solid. Yeah, I like that. Yeah.
Got to be high tech, especially in the middle of winter where you don't have to worry about things failing, you know, out in the cold weather. Tanda, what are your short and sweet final thoughts? I don't really have anything for this final thoughts. I'll just pass it to you, PJ. I highly encourage everyone, since it is the holiday season, to booby trap your presents. It is hilarious, and whoever is receiving the gift will not know what to do. (laughs) I take no responsibility for any family violence that ensues after this podcast. Along those lines, uh, occasionally, you know, in your lifetime, you should uh, frost an upside-down cake pan for someone's birthday. What? Just turn the cake pan upside down. Don't bother making a cake. And just frost the cake pan. It's cruel. Just put frosting on the cake pan. <laughs> Flip the cake. Uh, my pan my stepmom down. apparently did that to her uh, her ex husband. Maybe that's why it was her ex husband. Uh, I don't know. But uh, as as yeah. a joke once, I I only did it once, and I did it as a uh, for my niece who wanted an upside down cake for her birthday. And I'm like, well, how do you make a birthday cake that's like a pineapple upside down cake? And so I made the pineapple upside down cake, and then I just turned a pan over it and frosted it and put candles on it and everything so that it looked like a birthday cake. Oh, you frosted the outside of the pan. Yes. I was, I was mm. right up until that point, I'm like, if it's on the inside of the pan, how does anybody even see it? I was totally like not getting it. Yeah, yeah. No, just turn the pan upside down so it looks like a cake and start frosting it. Well, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm going to go one step further and say use a pot. Like one of those soup pots, because you can hide the handles on that. On a pan, the handle's going to stick right out. That's that's going to be a dead giveaway. But oh, one I was of those talking big about soup a, pots, a cake cake pan. But <laughs> oh, cake pan is that is that like one of those spring pans? <laughs> PJ's yeah, you, so lost on this one. You could you could use a springform pan, but then you've got that little uh, little lump of latch on not the side. Not a frying pan, a cake pan. <laughs> you could tell the baking is not my strong suit. I, I don't. I don't like cake. I'll tell you right now, I don't eat cake. I'll, I. I don't. I don't bake cake. I don't. Eat I love. Cake. I love that for like. I love for like four minutes. PJ's picturing a, a frying pan with icing on the inside. Yeah, that's exactly inside. what I'm thinking. I'm like, this is a weird story. I don't know how the. Where is this coming from? She's got some weird family stuff happening. Family stuff. They put. They have cast iron skillets and they put frosting inside of them. I'm, at first, I was thinking, well, like maybe, okay, she's it it's on the New Mexico thing. it's on the inside of the pan. Maybe she's like like smushing his face into it or something. I, I don't know. It was I was going like fifteen different. I'm like, how how could that work? I'm, I'm trying to figure out like the physics, and then all of a sudden it clicked. I'm like, oh, it's on the outside. That makes sense. And, and then he he clicks that it's on the outside, but he still thinks it's a it's a skillet. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, I I don't bake. I don't have any baking pots and pans. You know, sauce a saucepan. Ironically enough, I will say this: I did just bake a pie. I made an apple pie for Danny because I said I would. So I just gave him to him yesterday. He was super thrilled. But that is not in a pot. That's in a glass, like a Pyrex pie dish with no handle. A pie plate, pie plate, whatever you want to call it. It's 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 not it's not metal. Although you probably could turn that upside down and fill it with uh, frosting, and now that would look the wrong way, wouldn't it? Yeah, skillets I'm, with cookie dough. That's good. I'm definitely not in the the baking prank game. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Maker Skills. If you should need more skill information, you can find us on Instagram at maker.skills. You can also email us at makerskillspodcast at gmail.com. You can find me at PJ Galati, son of the junk hunter on Instagram and YouTube. You can find Tanda at Tanda Madison on Instagram, and you can find Tom at Infinite Craftsman on Instagram. We welcome any comments. Please leave us five-star reviews on Apple so that we can make more skill madness come your way. See you next time. This was made on the fly. I hope you like it. I don't know why, but for some reason, I keep thinking about that time seven years ago that we were working on the rabbit hole. You guys remember that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. How could you forget it? That was a good project. Yeah, I, I, I didn't forget it, but I mean, it just it just kept, I don't know, it just kept coming up in my mind over and over. What, what was it that stuck out in your mind, Tanda? I think just all the surprises, all of the things that we set out to do when we started making the rabbit hole that took some kind of bizarre twist, some of them very interesting, some of them useful, some of them not so much, but so many things that came up that had nothing to do with what we were trying to make. Tom Tanda's being very vague. Do you want to you kneel something? She is. Yeah, needle something down for I, I, she yeah. is. What What do you think? We made... We made an incredible thing. I mean, we made interdimensional storage. Now, granted, it was only the size of a five-gallon bucket, but whatever you put in the bucket, was it was basically infinite space for your tools, for really what, anything you wanted. That's true. I mean, creating a pocket dimension is no small feat. I mean, it took us a long time to do it. You know, I'm... I mean, I, I will I will hand it to, to Tanda. You know, she did a lot of the complex equations. Mainly it was the two of us building the, you know, the physical stuff. But That's kind of why I was kind of hedging around it. I'm not sure that people are going to believe that we did this. I don't care if people believe it. You know. Yeah, it doesn't matter. I mean, we did it. Yeah, we still have it. It doesn't matter if they, not like we're going to show anybody. Yeah, and it's and it's proven to be quite useful, especially among the three of us for getting things back and forth, like those transformers that I sent to you for your blue light switches. Those things were weighty with all of that wire. It was nice to just, like, put them in on this end and you could grab them out. That's true. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I can't let this go. I, I'm, I'm still a little irritated about, you know, the unnamed company, you know, the company that has the gray buckets with the maroon and, and yellow label. I'm not going to talk about them, but I... I I want to, I want to know how they got a hold of the prototype. You know, cuz you know what I'm not I'll, sure they ever got a hold of the prototype. I think that it's possible because you know we were using that kind of I don't know, call it cooling fluid that we were using yeah. to to keep the dimensional expansion down. I think that we were, you know, we were throwing some of that out behind the shop and I think they happened upon it and may or may not have discovered the same unique properties we did. They just took it off in a different direction. All right, so I'm just going to come out and say it because everybody doesn't know what we're talking about. So when we, Tom and I brought a lot of rusty tools with us that we had picked up, you know, over, you know, just get some deals, auctions, stuff like that. And that was our test. Those were our test tools. We, these were the things that if we 
put it into the rabbit hole and we didn't get it back, we, we really didn't worry about it because they're just old, rusty tools, you know. We lost we lost a lot of good tools out there. We, we did. Yeah. We did. I mean, yeah, when we first started, we were overconfident, I think. I mean, I know that I, I put a set of calipers in there that I really wish I still had in those early tests where things just didn't come back. And now I don't, I don't think they're gone. I mean, that's just, that's just me. I, I think according to the calculations that they couldn't have disappeared. They're just, we just no longer had access to them, let's say. I personally think they fell to the bottom of the rabbit hole and that's why we couldn't get them out. Whereas all the other tools remained right in like the opening so they were easier to grab. Hmm. I, I mm-hmm. think we had some sort of... I don't know, velocity is the right word. We have some some sort of calculation was wrong when we were putting them in. They were just shooting further down the hole. Well, the part I want to explain, like the science of, of this is is pretty easy. The side effect, so we had to add the coolant, right? Because of, uh, what did you say, dimensional expansion? We had to keep that down. So the problem was when we added the coolant, we got this weird side effect where any tools that we took out were completely rust-free. And we just, that that was the part we couldn't explain. Right. And that's the part that got stolen. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm... Well, we kind of, to be fair, we really didn't, we were really focused on the storage idea. And we, we, we none of us kind of went, oh, this would be a good rust removal product. Like, that never occurred to us. Yeah, I, exactly. And I think when I was formulating it, and I guess I should say we were formulating it, because there were a few ingredients that PJ came up with with his cooking expertise that you wouldn't think would be ingredients for a coolant, but, boy, they certainly worked. And I think we were just so mm-hmm. focused on using it as a coolant for the rabbit hole that we... You kind of discounted the other properties of it. Well, see, that was the other thing. I worked really hard to make sure that that coolant was biodegradable, and now that's the darn selling point. I don't even want to get into it. It's starting to irritate me. I, I used all natural ingredients, and now that's being used against me. I don't, I don't, I don't like that. I, I, well, it was what you had in your cabinet. I know we're not supposed to talk about this publicly, but it, it was basically toffee soda and coffee. Like, that was basically it, right? No. No, that was the first batch. That didn't work. We had a switch. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, the toffee, the yeah. toffee and the coffee made an acidic. It started to actually melt the tools. That was an acidic. That was a bad reaction. Although right. we did get uh, some really good etches with that later. You know, Tom put it in his etch tank and uh, used it on some knives to great effect. Not that they, you know, were rabbit hole related but that was there were so many spinoffs that just turned out to be great that's true we did have a lot of unintentional breakthroughs that we're still using today i'll I'll, I'll agree with that but i mean on the whole on the whole the rabbit hole was success i mean we were able to open a pocket dimensional gateway we could store as much stuff as we want i mean that's People still don't understand how I can fit all this stuff in my shop, and you know, I, I just keep them guessing. They don't, they don't realize that's what I'm mm-hmm. doing. Yeah, yeah, but the, I mean, you you say, you know, whatever, but it does have to fit through the opening of a five gallon bucket. So that's why you often see PJ taking things apart. True. Because if he's going to store a bandsaw in the rabbit hole, every piece of the bandsaw has to go through the opening of a five gallon bucket. I think the part that we didn't spend enough time on was cataloging where 
we were putting all of this stuff. So basically, you take this bucket, you can throw it on a table, you can put stuff in it, and when you move the bucket, you can put it in another spot, put stuff in it, and then move the bucket again. But we, sh- we really probably should have built an app that cataloged where everything was stored. I mean, I have tools all over my shop that I can't find now. Uh, I mean, I, I didn't know you were doing that, Tom. I leave mine in the same place. Yeah, but then you only have a five-gallon volume. You could just keep putting it all around. No, I turn it on the side, and I just push stuff through. So it's it's like, you know, a funnel. Oh. Yeah. And then, then I just, you know, I've got like a big claw. I just reach in there, and I grab stuff. It's got a magnet on the end. Almost everything I put in there is metal. Did I miss the memo on this? Uh, but Tanda... Fli- flipping on its side is brilliant. Yeah. Tanda knew about it, right? Yeah, I've had mine on the side ever since that, ever since it fell over. And we realized that it worked just as well or better laying on its side. And I didn't realize that Tom had set his back up. Oh, man. I've I've lost so many tape measures. They're everywhere and nowhere. Are you putting those plastic tape measures in there? All kinds of tape measures. You know, a good tip um, for the rabbit hole. Now, I realize it's kind of silly because no one else has a rabbit hole well possibly some bright people out there they may have may have made their own may have made their own but we know who has it tanda put pencils i i got like five boxes of pencils and dumped them in the rabbit hole and now when i don't have a pencil in the shop i just reach into the coolant and boom i've got another pencil it's like there are just endless and a wet hand yeah well i mean i i sometimes i put on gloves but most of the time i don't and but you know the rabbit hole. The rabbit hole cooling fluid is non-toxic, so you can get away with that. Tanda, are you still working on that wood magnet? Is that you're not telling us the whole story? How are you getting those pencils out? That's what I want to know. Um, the wood magnet works about forty percent of the time, but it depends on the wood and if it's uh, and and if it's shaped like a pencil or if it's just a block of wood. So there's work to be done. Are you still focusing on attracting the tenons? In the wood? Yeah, I, th- I think that's the best bet. I, I think that the, the fibers are, are aligned, and if you go to the cellular level, it's just too different between different wood. Well, I'd say the tannin, you know, the amount of tannins in the wood is definitely going to make a difference if it's, if it's something like, you know, white oak versus maple. I think that's a big part of it is that I'm just not, you know, I just don't work with wood enough to really know the direction to go. So I'm just kind of, it's kind of a shot in the dark. I come up with something, I try it, it works or it doesn't work. And to be honest, much like the rabbit hole, I'm just kind of winging it. But if the math works, I try it. That's why I stick to metal pencils. Yeah. And I got to tell you, I get all my pencils from Sally and that's the last time I asked Sally for pencils. I, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of talking about this. Let's, let's, uh, let's, let's cut it here. Yeah, sure, they made something. They made it all up. 